0: Hello and welcome. My name is Caleb Schwecky, and this is a very special episode of the Late Edition from Yakima Valley Hops. We are hanging out here live on the floor of HomebrewCon 2018, Portland, Oregon, and the Brewlosophy crew is here, most of you guys.
1: What's up, Caleb?
0: How's it going, Marshall? I- uh, how about start off with some introductions?
1: Yeah, I'm Marshall Schott. Uh, do do the whole Brewlosophy thing. I'm a little voiceless today. Yeah, we had a uh, club night last night, so...
0: I'm sure the karaoke didn't take any of your voice away, did it?
1: <laughs> karaoke gives me power.
2: All right, moving on to the right.
1: Malcolm Fraser. Uh, I think
2: I'm on Brewlosophy still, right? <laughs> it's, uh, it's early, so we'll see how that day goes. Right. But uh, Malcolm Fraser, and I do stuff with beer.
3: Uh, Jake Houlihan, I'm also with Brewlosophy.
1: And
4: I'm Brian Hall. I'm Northern Brewlosophy Division.
1: <laughs> Anchorage, <laughs> the Anchorage Contingent. The no- <laughs> Northern Force. <laughs> it's good to be here. Thanks for being here. It's been
0: a, been a fun couple days so far. I want to start off you guys are all over the country, right? So we got Anchorage, we got Fresno, Atlanta. Well, absolutely, covering all the corners here. So, <laughs> home brewing is it different in those different parts? What, what are you doing up in in, in Alaska? What, what are you doing up, brewing up that's wild and crazy?
4: Uh, most of the stuff I'm doing these days is with Brewlosophy. Um, but have, I mean, I, I lived in Maine for four years, then I moved up to Anchorage, uh, been up there for now three years. And you know, the thing, I think the thing that ties everybody together that you see everywhere is just the community. I mean, just the beer, the brewing, the process, the discussions that go along with it, that's what really brings people together, which is one of the reasons why this event is so awesome. Um, you know there's different styles that you find I think I think there's bigger barley wines being brewed up in Anchorage and more uh, hazy material being brewed over in Maine but uh, but sim- similar people doing similar things
0: yeah Im- Imperial styles up there to keep you
4: warm at night <laughs> a lot big styles are what everybody's interested in the biggest the best I wouldn't say the best the biggest strongest everything
1: well and I, I do think there are some regional differences uh, in terms of what I've noticed at least. Uh, people are enjoying. I mean, you, right now, I think we're seeing a huge growth in or p- popularity in lagers and particularly kind of a loosening of the hate toward the old pale fizzy drink. Uh, you know, when it's homebrewed, it can be delicious.
0: And I do think the homebrewing community is driving that trend because they try and brew some of these pilsners and they're like, oh, crap, like they are difficult to brew. You can really screw them up. So I, I think they're starting to learn and respect pilsners loggers i think respect's
1: those. a good word yeah I, I think there's a i don't know malcolm probably he, he has malcolm is our uh, kind of our resident bjcp you know he's he's got his thumb on that pulse um and so you know in my experience and, and kind of what we're known for i guess is kind of tearing down the you know conventional approaches and and uh trying things a little bit you know using shoddier methods and whatnot but um you know, I, I think what people are realizing is is Pilsner. The beauty of a Pilsner is that you are representing beer. I mean, that is beer, beer and beer, beer flavored beer, beer, beer flavored beer. Exactly, yeah. Which you know, <laughs> who doesn't love that?
2: So what I like is uh, seeing these craft loggers come out, and of course tying it back into uh, hops with Caleb here. Uh, I love deftly hopped loggers. I'm not talking like making like uh, IPLs. I just like experimenting instead of the classic Saz, tetanang etc a little bit of character hop so you can like base you can base with like say tetanang and then do a little flick of like el dorado Arazaka or, or something for sure
0: on the dry hop whirlpool kind of thing
2: yeah absolutely and we're talking like so for homebrewers, you know half ounce a, 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 a batch maybe an ounce most so it's just a little tiny character
0: I have been seeing a lot more dry hopped pilsners showing up commercially on the shelves. Do you think that trend is going to continue or are people are, or are the breweries going to be able to keep up with the demand pumping out pilsners?
2: Yeah, I don't know. So obviously, you know, in the fermenter, you're taking up that real estate longer. So it's probably going to be like a one or two, you know, for these 15 barrel brew houses. But I'm new to Atlanta and I've already seen a few smaller uh, breweries. Sure. Starting to have one or two craft pilsners, and we're talking like you know in the fives, you know, so they're drinkable, and they just have a little touch of some nuanced <laughs> hop, you know. And I love them. I, mean, I when I go to a bar or a, a brewery, I look for five percent and below. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I like I, to drink, and I sometimes compromise at like five five, but I'm looking at like five two and below, preferably even lower than that. And I'm happy to see that trend come around too. And Loggers helps drive that because loggers tend to be, on average, lower alcohol. So do you think that trend is going to
0: continue, uh, kind of swinging back with the pendulum, uh, you know, for years, like double IPAs, triple IPAs, quadruple IPAs, trying to throw more hops in, higher alcohols, more sour, just like taking things to the extreme. Are we swinging
3: back the other way, going delicate?
1: Like moderation has become the next cool thing.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I guess the session IPA is where, you know, they kind of took off for a little bit before the hazy IPA. And hazy IPA even is kind of sessionable when it's done, you know, to a lower gravity. So, you know, I think people are going back to that that less alcohol beer, you know, flavorful, but not just like kick you in the mouth, bitterness. and And I think it's here to stay.
4: I mean, I think some people are just kind of burning out on, on some of these super sour beers or some of these super bitter IPAs. I see a lot of that uh, up in Anchorage. You know, a lot of people, that, a lot of tasting groups that I go to locally and groups I'm involved with. In, people are just, they're starting to buy, you know, Founders, Sour Gold, PC Pills, those sorts of things. So they just want relaxing, easy drinking beers that they can just sip all day instead of, you know, going through a 13% bottle by themselves.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think IPA in particular right now, New England IPA are hazy pales, whatever you want to call them. They still have a a pretty firm grip. They're on the the highest incline, you know, the the rate of uh, acceptability, adaptability. Uh, Right now in the southeast, even though it's New England, and, you know, there's still some... uh, North versus South pride stuff going on, yeah, you know? Of course, yeah. But, but they're like, yeah, New England, I pay, we'll brew that. You know, it's, it's like, of all the things that bring people together, it's like, where was that war? Screw the war, they're still fighting the war. And all of a sudden they're like, New England pays? Okay, let's get along.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think one of the things that we've noticed, though, you were asking about hobby pilsners. Um, there's a part of it I think that's. Mar- I mean, I'm just be real. I think I think there's a marketing opponent. We know pilsners are hot right now, and so if we can basically make a pale ale and call it a pilsner and do those little things to do to tweak it, um, but if you are get you know I I taste these hoppy pilsners and I don't I still think pilsner um, because I, I don't think they're going the the direction that you would with something like a, a New England or any type of IPA or a pale ale. It, they're, what they're doing is trying to really, um, and, and this is again my experience with these beers. Um, <laughs> someone just dropped the phone off. IPAs are just pumpkin spice lattes for white men. Touche. <laughs> Touche, yeah. Yes. But I think what they're doing is they're really trying to accentuate the pilsnery aspect of it. And if that's the case, everybody loves hops. I mean, we know that. I mean, that is, the, that is the, what, what people are after. And I think to be able to accentuate different st- types of hops, like uh, I think of um, Firestone Walker's Pivo. One of my favorite
2: beers. It's by a the great
1: way. beer, it's and beer. it's and it's hoppy, but it's also pilsner. I mean, it tastes like a pilsner.
2: Yeah. So as long as they still taste, so this is preference and opinion, but right. as long as they still have the the soul of a pilsner, that's when I like them. If it's just, like IPL, I, I don't enjoy them as much. They are to me approaching brute uh, IPA. They because they have they're kind of devoid of any loud malt, and they, they become hop juice. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So, some of them, obviously, but you know, I, as long as they taste like a pilsner. With some nuance, that's what I like.
3: And, and to go back to Brian's point, too, about burnout, I mean, the most popular beer in the country for the last how many years has been Bud Light, Miller Light, Coors Light. Are people really going to burn out on something that's sessionable and easy to drink?
1: Good point. If anything, I think, uh, you know, you see, you, you see I've, got, I've got a really good friend, a neighbor of mine named Tim, um, who. <laughs> who uh, Are those World Cup cheers or just people breaking glasses left and right? <laughs> Yeah, somebody told them we're recording. I think is what yeah, happened. Yeah, good for them. <laughs> no, but uh, you know, you, you. I think you see people starting to cross over. People who had no, in, who maybe had no interest in drinking anything other than you know BMC, who are saying, "Whoa, you know." I, first off, I like the community that comes with hanging out with craft beer folks. Right, it's cool. People tend to be like ninety-nine point nine percent of people are cool. Point one percent suck, but that's you know.
2: Um, it's pretty good ratio. It's though. pretty good ratio. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. You're you're bound to have you make some good friends, and and uh, you got guys like like my, my friend Tim over here who you know you you can serve him a pilsner craft pilsner, and he's going to enjoy it and like hanging out and doing all of that. So I think there's a lot that we're seeing in that area as well, and kind of expanding. Well, let's kind of talk
0: about that a little bit. The community, why people come to homebrew, Marshall? Why did you start homebrew? You I like start farts, smelling <laughs> <is> farts.
1: <laughs> That, that's the first reason, but the second reason, yeah, um, I I actually came to it out of an interest for of um, the whole DIY thing, and it seemed real. It's not magical; it's science, but it seemed very magical to me um, when my buddy was telling me that he did it, and this was God, you know, over a decade ago, and um, and then and then actually doing it and engaging in that process. That was part one, and it was fun. And the fact that you can make this drinkable product so easily, I think, uh, and then you kind of get involved in the community. And there's nothing; the community is the glue that stuck me doing, to doing this. You know, I think a lot of people will agree with that.
4: Yeah, I mean, com- communities is where it's at for me. Is uh, th- that's the reason I get involved in as many many different clubs, you know, and Brewlosophy, and you know, all that's all the that different stuff. Is Marshall and I met doing yeast yeast testing years ago. And it was just you know it was those kind of connections and it was actually marshall and ed that kind of turned me uh, turned me on to uh, you know more of a national level sort of thing and just talking to other people across the country so we've got all that and then sharing that with a local club i mean it, it's what is
2: really what drives it for me is just the connections with the people sharing ideas i want to start hanging out at like maybe like a scrapbook convention <laughs> is it as cool like are, there, are all the people at scrapbook conventions like really awesome
0: next weekend here in portland i saw there's a bead Festivals, so maybe we can. We should stay, stick uh, around
1: for right that. Caleb, and you and I, man, We're bead, let's let do it. Beat A it bead, up. Uh, like beads, like to make necklaces. Uh, beads, beads. Okay. Yeah. That sounds thrilling. Yeah, you let's, let's stay. stay. Let's stay. <laughs> but <I> mean, there's <laughs> also
4: the there's the social lubrication aspect of it because you know you're getting people coming together that are all kind of loosened up from having some beverages together. You don't you don't get this sort of community level I think in other hobbies.
0: Well, and even with like the other, you know, alcohols, wine and liquor, like you don't, nobody's hanging out, drinking a bottle of wine, making some wine. Right. You're, you're pretty much only consuming, whereas homebrewing gives you that opportunity to produce, to right. be creative, do what you want, take it, spin it. Marshall, earlier you said homebrewing is a science, it's not an art. Well, is no, it? I mean, because <laughs> like one of the things that you guys do is you tear down these established right. you know, conventions and you you show that, you know, some of this, these factual.
1: Yeah. I So I, I, I do believe there's an artistic component. I don't think it's magic is basically what I was trying to, you know, to, you know magic is very not science, I guess. Um, I think there's an artistic component to it and but I think that manifests itself in so many different ways you you might look at like what Brulosophy does and I'm curious what, what the other guys think about this and say wow you, you have actually you know this whole thing where you're you're taking a variable and you're stripping all of these things down and you're testing just the specific thing that that could be very non-artistic if you think about it right like, like leave the art out of it you're still going to produce this thing um, but I feel like even in doing that, we have our way of expressing it. We have our way of sharing it, whether it's doing podcasts or writing about it, um, and then and then also I think um, just just the way we I guess present that information in general, um, it, it, our tone in terms of tone, and I, I feel like there's a component to that that is very unique or that can be unique, and we you know and, and we try to make it that way.
2: So what I like about it is the is the perfect blend of art and science, right? You you take uh, scientific components, and those are your. Your, it's your palette and you're painting your beverage which is the art you present with these concepts now obviously we test the belief in those concepts and, and the application of those, those concepts and sometimes we find that they not as impactful as we believe at least on our level but that is, that is what I love about brewing is I come from a science background you know in an the engineering background with uh, the nuclear uh, history there and it was my art outlet and then I can, I've seen that in the other direction too. I've seen artistic people who come into brewing, and that's how they learn, you know, some of these uh, chemistry terms and, and, and uh, physics and, and even math. You know, it's like, oh, you're in whatever fourth grade. And you're like, I'm never going to use this. And then you need to do a, a dilution calculation. You know, I mean, obviously you can go on the, online and get a calculator, but I just love the fact that if you swing one way. Uh, there's a joke there, uh, but if you swing one way as far as art and science, your outlet for the other one can be brewing.
0: That's a very cool thought. I, I really like that. That is that is definitely one of the cool parts about the community at HomebrewCon. Everybody does kind of come at it for a different reason. One of one of the things that struck me, Marshall, when you came out for Hop Harvest last year was we were just talking, and you mentioned like old wave homebrewing kind of versus new wave homebrewing where what what is that new wave and how is it different from what home brewing has been in the past
1: i uh, yeah man that that's a that's a loaded question only because i think there's so many factors at play i mean i was i was talking with someone yesterday about um the about the, the and i don 't mean i 'm not saying this derogatorily, but like um the millennial thing and and the impact of that kind of way of thinking the the well we just do it our way and whatever and we call ourselves and and I, and you look and it sort of i guess there's a there's a component of it that that is kind of that like you know um just because authority said that um or because it traditionally you did things this way it doesn 't mean you have to and we aren't offended by or, or, or don't mind questioning it, taking it out and doing. But it's not a disrespect thing. We try to ma- you know, maintain a level of respect. I think to answer your question, I say that because I don't want people to get the, get the wrong idea that we're like dissing the, 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 you know, the giants on, upon whose shoulders we stand.
0: Yeah, I didn't mean it in a negative way, yeah. but, but there is a, there is a, you know, a title shift. It feels
1: like it. It feels like it. And I think I think a large part of that one has to do with and this has been said for so long with the quality of the ingredients that we have to use nowadays, um, you know, from from getting the freshest hops and and, you know, viable, vital yeast and and highly modified, uh, you know, malt good water. You do all that and, and you can turn a beer around that, that you know 20 years ago would have taken you four or five weeks just because you had to age out all those terrible flavors. Now you turn it around and, in two weeks, find it with gelatin and, and you've got an award winning beer. Um, and I think, I think a part of that is people wanting to brew more often as, as, because they love it so much and so if I can shave off some of this stuff it doesn't mean I'm not enjoying my hobby. It means that I get to make more beer more often. That's kind of the way that I take it. Ma- Malcolm might have a different idea on that.
2: Well I think people start you know, further ahead down the pipe than they, they used to. So, back in 1998, you know, you had one or two books, there wasn't as much presence on the internet, and now a beginner can come in and be given so much information. Now, mind <laughs> you, some of it's not so great, but there's a lot of good information out there. You're starting at a much higher spot uh, along that uh, journey, you right. know, which, which I think helps because some of the practices that we've come to learn are, are good ways to make beer are now given to you at your starting point. So that's just my take.
1: Yeah, they, I mean, they're hitting the road running, literally, it seems. Brian, did you have something? Well, I was just gonna say, I mean, there's a lot more people doing the hobby. I and mean, there's a lot more people offering
4: supplies and ingredients, so you've got a lot more things happening. So it promotes a lot more conversation because you've got all these different methods happening. And so we start talking, all right, what do you think about A versus B versus C? And then that brings in more conversation, more people trying to make a product for that process. And so I think, I think it's just growing
3: in popularity. And like, also, too, you talked about you know the quality ingredients we have now. Just take a look around here. Look at all this quality equipment we have now, too. And yeah. not necessarily that that makes a better beer or that you can't make a great beer using stuff people were using in 1998, but it gets people excited about it. I mean, who, who doesn't want that new shiny uh, miniature brew house in their garage or a glycol chiller or something like My that? My wife.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all of our wives, yeah. I, though I do think there's something to say about... Good quality gear makes the process more enjoyable. It makes it simpler. It makes certain aspects if efficient. And and I get it. I get that people don't want to drop a grand on their brewery, and that's fine. But I I do think there's something to say about when you when you are brewing with a rad you know whether you're all electric like some all-in-one system or or you just got a new kettle that has the ports that you need. Your experience is better, and this is a freaking hobby. Like that's what you want, and I think with the availability of all of that, the availability of the great ingredients, you put all that together, and you've got somebody who can literally. My brother made his first batch, and it was amazingly good. You know, like like a first beer. There's no way that that would have been the case 20 years ago, in my
2: opinion. Well, look at these like uh, brewery systems they have you know like uh, the Grandfather Pico Brew and all the the variants right? right some people are like well why would I want to do that I would push button beer man I'm like I don't know maybe because it's awesome fun and easy maybe it's not for you I mean I like a little bit more of the mechanical process I like being attached to it but I don't know what you like yeah <laughs> Malcolm, earlier you talked
0: about the ease of access to information, uh, sometimes having a ton of information is really good, sometimes it can be really bad. Is there any bad information out there that you
2: run across on a frequent basis? Yeah, don't let other people tell you how to enjoy your hobby.
1: Amen. Jesus. Yeah. And, don't, and don't think that when, just because somebody says they do something, they're telling you you should do it too. I mean, it's sort of the opposite thing, but chill out, enjoy it, do it the way you want it. And if you're enjoying your product in the end and you're enjoying your time. You win. The only
2: other like, real solid advice is don't drink out of can-shaped glasses. That's just ridiculous.
1: <laughs> God. Uh, we, I would edit that out of my podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <That's>, uh, <laughs> it's an ongoing battle we have. <laughs>
0: <laughs> guys down on the end, any, any rumors or, you know? No, I, I, think you see,
4: I think you see a lot of people trying to emulate what they see in a professional brewery. And a lot of people say, well, this is the way the pros do it. Or this is the way it's done, you know, at, at my XYZ local brewery. And it kind of goes back to the do what works for you. And, you, know, you know, we, we repeat that a lot, but it's true. We shouldn't, we're home brewers. We shouldn't be doing what's going on in a 5-gallon batch and what's going on in a fif- 15-barrel batch, necessarily. I mean, there are some overlaps, obviously, but there, it does, it's not a direct comparison.
1: Well, yeah, I didn't mean to, but I think there's, I think for a lot of people, the emulation is a part of the hobby because it's a part of the dream, right? A lot of people really do. And it's cool, man. They dream of being pro, going pro, my word, Derek. (laughs) Um, And and so, you know, even if it's a five, five gallon, it's, I, I find it kind of funny, but like a five gallon three-tiered, you know, three-vessel system that's that's got all these pumps and everything. It may not be necessary, but it might be their way of kind of living out that dream, maybe, and that's cool, you know. Right.
4: That's great. I'm just saying it doesn't need to be done.
1: Brian, you're wrong. Just stop. <laughs> I agree with you, man. I'm with you. I
3: well, mean, the the level of information I've seen on these forums since I started brewing has just so vastly improved and I don't know if it's like that like-minded mentality of the internet and, and, and how that works, but I mean, you, you just really don't see the bad information um, that you used to. Sure, it's still out there at, at some places, but I mean, to go back to Malcolm's point, just enjoy your hobby. Well, here, let's talk a little bit about the intersection of
0: homebrewing and craft beer. You talked about emulation, but if somebody's drinking a homebrew, they're not drinking a commercial beer. So uh-huh. are they adversaries? Are they friends? Who said uh huh? <laughs> yeah,
2: well, a lot of these trends are driven by you know, the enthusiasts. So who are they selling to? You know, I think where their where their primary target yeah. consumer based. So if uh, we're doing this in our garages and it starts to get talked about, I mean it goes the other way as well. You know, we see homebrewers start saying, you know, brew IPA. I want to try that too. You know, so I, I like that that push and pull, give and take. I certainly think there's
1: a symbiosis there. I, you know, I think I think that that relationship is necessary, um, and and I think. As things do, you know, maybe when the bubble goes one way, it does kind of follow the other. So with the growth of craft beer, you see kind of a, a, an indentation in homebrewing, perhaps. But in, it might go in the same direction where the where the you know, as more people homebrew, they may not be drinking as much craft. But I, I still think that those it's so supportive of each other. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not really sure what to think about this talk, a little bit of a talk of a plateau and the growth of homebrewing and all that right now. But, you know, I think we're all doing our part to keep it alive
3: yeah i mean like every time i brew a beer that's i want it to be similar to something commercial like say a month ago i brewed what i wanted to be a pivo pills i'm gonna go out and buy a 24 pack of pivo pills so i can try my beer next to it and see how it see how it shakes up to that and i think craft uh home brewers largely do that and compare their beer to craft beer uh just in terms of replicating a commercial example
2: yeah that's a a good uh a good concept uh the, the, one of the funny things I, I've seen a shift in is back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when people were brewing, one of the things they would say that drove them to the hobby was, oh, I started brewing because good beer wasn't as available, right? Well, now it's very available, but now I see homebrewers trying to revive these, like, dead styles, you know, yeah. ancient styles, so it's, oh, I want to I brew a, a Brohan or something like that. You know, it's like, oh, I want to do something that's not available, so they're still doing it. But there's also so much other good beer, so they're just instead brewing beers that aren't available.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I have this constant like I, I was thinking about this, this idea that like I, to me in my like the, an analogy that I use is ho- home brewers and home brewing in general are sort of these embers, these undying embers that when when something. You know, flammable is thrown on it. It can it can light a fire, and it can and that might be something like New England IPA. And I say this often, and I and I really mean it. But like, you know, Brian was one of the first people I know. Brian Malcolm and, and our friend Ed Coffey, who really were just talking about this different newfangled style of hazy IPA and all this. And I'm not saying that it's, you know, all on on them. But I feel we like homebrewers. It, yeah, yeah it's all you. you yeah. yeah. But I feel like but I feel like it's homebrewers that really made it come alive. And really, because if 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 it weren't for homebrewers. Focusing on the commercial breweries that were making them, um, it could have been dead in the water, you know. Because and then they start making them, and then it becomes this huge thing. And I so I think, like again, like we're the embers, and, and again, we keep things alight.
0: No, absolutely. I, I think there's a lot to that. I think I think the homebrewing industry impacts craft beer on a like a bottom up kind of thing, where it only costs a buck to buy a couple ounces of hops to experiment with a batch of beer on the homebrew galaxy. Level. That'll cost you five yeah. or six bucks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But, but you can't. You just can't do that on a commercial system. Even even establishments with a pilot system, like they're still looking at maybe a barrel, you know, maybe a half barrel. But just the the opportunity cost for them to mess around, really innovate, really get creative, you know, do some of these old goof, goofy styles. Like, I mean, uh, kviks. What? what are, yeah.
2: We were trying to remember how to uh, <laughs> pronounce that on our show tight. yesterday. I think it's like. Quebec. Kvike? Kvike. Thank you. I think so. Yeah, I, I think uh, Brian's right. I think it's Kvike. Kvike. But I don't know of
0: any commercial examples brewing Kvikes, but. I, I don't
4: remember who I've seen a couple cans with the term Kvike on them, but it okay. did, that did start out as a homebrew thing. And it was, you know, I got some yeast in the mail. I was experimenting with it. I've been talking to some guys in Anchorage about potentially brewing one. Did you get your yeast from Dwayne?
2: Yes. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's really been an advocate there. Oh, yeah.
4: But it, I mean, that's where, that's where that has started. I think, is as far as I understand, is uh, you know, Lara's doing a lot of research over there. Absolutely. And uh, and then just kind of getting mailed out, and then you know, there's a little hype build up on the homebrew level. A professional brewer catches on, and boom. The embers, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah. Very bottom up. So, other than some of these goofy styles, are there anything that embers out there are doing that we might see translate? Into commercial beers in the future.
1: Well, I think uh, Malcolm's calling up Dan Pixley right now. This guy, he's he's from. Hey, Malcolm, could Malcolm give him the mic, dude? Dan, do you mind getting on the show for a little bit, just saying some stuff? Because we, we're talking about what we're talking. If you don't mind, Caleb, I know it's your show, but he milk the funk. Uh, I, what what I was going to say to answer that is, I think you're going to start seeing. They're talking about Kvike, uh but sours and funky beers and all of that. I think is blowing up right now. It's continuing the growth, and. Uh, just maybe, like, what what's some stuff that you're seeing right now? What are some trends that you're seeing in in, in the kind of the homebrewing world, Caleb? I'm sorry for t boning you, but um, no, this is an awesome opportunity. Yeah, yeah.
5: and in particular, kevayaik uh, is what you're asking about. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think people are using that yeast to uh, to ferment at hot temperatures because real hot, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah really going, hot, yeah. like ninety. Yeah. So I live in Las Vegas, and it's you know hot as balls down there. So <laughs> um, it's really convenient for me. Um, I can ferment uh, uh, an IPA or, you know, any kind of a recipe with, with that yeast. And um, I've experimented with them a little bit. Um, I, I haven't really gotten a handle on them, you know, as far as reusing them over and over and over and stuff like that. But uh, Yeah, I just, I just waved Dan over because I, I was trying to remember how to say
2: uh, Dwayne's last name. Oh, Dwayne Schaaf. Schaaf. I believe so, it's Schaaf. I, b- I believe yeah. you're right. But he, he sent me vials full of bike yeast, and he sent vials full to all milk defunct members I mean a lot of them yeah
1: Yeah. and that's homebrewing for you that's what I mean yeah those embers and it lights up and it's just I mean and now you hear about this yeast strain all the time you can't
5: you know yeah I gotta give a shout out to uh, Maniacal Yeast they sell a lot of them online yeah. Oh, wicked! Thanks can't for get that. him from Dwayne or somebody yeah. else. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: that's awesome. What,
5: if you don't mind me asking, Caleb, because I'm actually, what other,
1: besides, because I think that is very popular kind of in the funky, even though it's a clean strain, I think where we're seeing it come out of most is, you know, milk the funk and, and the people and, you know, all the things you guys are doing. What else, what other trends are you seeing in sour beer brewing in general? Um, I know kettle souring is huge
5: right now. That, like, I mean, yeah. Um, well, trends uh, in the homebrew world, a lot of people are trying out spontaneous fermentation these days. Um, and they gave a good talk. Uh, James Howard and Avery Swanson and uh, David Logston and uh, Trevor Rogers and Jeff Mello. Uh, they they gave a, uh, a really good spontaneous presentation yesterday. Um, and it's difficult to do at home, uh, but there's other things too that are going on. For example, um, doing what they call the reverse milk the funk kettle sour something milk. like that. I yeah, don't I know. know. Funk the milk. Yeah. Funk, funk <laughs> and the milk. And basically, what that is is you, you pitch the yeast first you let it go for a couple of days and then you pitch lactobacillus plantarum. You still don't use any hops because if you use any hops at all, plantarum is is going to be dead. Right. Um, but that will pr- give you a, a beer that uh, has yeast character. And uh, so you can pitch like a Saison yeast or a Belgian yeast or something like that. You'll get more of the ester profile yeah. from that yeast. And then you pitch the plantarum to make it sour after the fact. Yeah, because if you do it uh, first,
2: the beer is almost devoid of, of fermentation character and all it is is a, a one note tart the sour yeah. bomb yeah
1: yeah, yeah. well and, I, and 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 so to get back to what you're just saying i think what we're going to see is, like he's saying the uh, the, the kind of reverse souring method and i guarantee you some you know small maybe maybe five barrel or some nano brewery is going to try it and then some bigger brewery is going to see that and taste that beer and like it and and, and so I think that's what I mean by that symbiotic relationship between homebrewing yeah. and craft brewing in general. Yeah.
0: One of the really exciting things for me about sour beers and people really getting into sour beers is like how food-friendly they are. Yeah. And, I, and I think I mean, right now all the growth is going to wine, like wine and, and spirits. Uh, beer, beer's plateauing a little, homebrewing's plateauing a little. Do you think those sour styles have potential to pull in some of those wine lovers? Because wines, I mean, they have that acidity. They have that, that ability to pair with food.
5: Yeah, I definitely think that they do. And I think if you talk to bartenders wherever you're at, they'll tell you that. They'll say um, if it's not a beer bar. So in Vegas, we have a lot of just regular bars. They have beer. They have wine. They have cocktails. You know, they do everything across the board. And um, they'll sell uh, sour beer to to wine drinkers a lot of the times and and, kind of convert them over to to beer drinking. And at least they have something to, to drink that's a beer that... Isn't wine, if that's available, yeah. you know? Yeah,
1: and isn't an IPA, basically. Right, yeah. right.
5: Yeah, it, I mean, it appeals to a different kind of palate. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like bitterness. Um, on the other side of that token, though, sometimes sour beer can also be a, uh, an acquired taste, too, if you don't like acidity, if you don't like sourness. So. Yeah.
0: But But the, you know, technique that you're talking about does lend itself to a more balanced style, not quite that, you know, sharp acidity, so...
5: Yeah, and that's another trend that people talk about a lot right now is lowering the acidity in sour beers. Session styles. Session sours. There's session
2: sours, yeah. I I like a sour beer that is just basically tart. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I like to do is I used to do sour saisons. I would do a saison or a wit beer and just add, I would blend
5: in about 5%, 10% just
2: to have a touch on it.
5: That's another really big trend I'm seeing also going into the commercial world is blending sour beer into saisons to... Accomplish a less sour beer, yeah, yeah, and have it more
1: ta- taste. more like a like a beer that you recognize, with that tartness in it. I think I had one yesterday um, that was pretty great, um, but yeah. Those, I, and those, and those trends again, I'm I'm gonna keep going back to it. I, I feel like homebrewing is sort of responsible on many levels for coming up with a lot of these ideas, because we can we are not sacrificing anything. If We can screw around and, no, and and if we have to dump a batch, we have to dump a batch. So what you know.
5: Yeah. Not. hey man thanks a lot Dan alright thank you guys thanks
1: right, for man. coming up here nice
0: seeing you brother thanks Dan well we have a couple minutes here left anything left to no, discuss I'm glad Dan
4: came up because I mean that was you, awesome.
0: you talk about relationships
4: yeah. between profes- professional brewers and home brewers Milk the Funk has brought those two together absolutely strong, stronger than any other resource you know online hangout Facebook group anything that, that I've ever seen and, yeah, it, it's that's a community. and Dan is doing a great job
1: yeah yeah well, and, and, and just, to, just to harp on, you know, Milk the Funk a little bit, they're, they are like, I mean, they, they, I, you, they're bringing professionals and homebrewers and all that stuff together, but the, the, c- the concerted effort to learn more, not only one, to learn more about this thing that we don't know very much about right now, but then to share that and dispense that information in the way that they do, Yeah. I mean, it's unmatched. It's awesome. It's so, yeah, cheers to Milk the Funk. Good job, Dan. So like some of the other
2: trend styles, we got away from that for a little bit. So sours is obviously one of them you mentioned. Uh, hop sours. So hop sours, uh, they had a little blip, but I think they're starting to become popular again. But I think that's a style that needs to tone down the uh, the level of acidity to pair well with hops. Because so I think for some reason the bitterness and the sourness just does not interact well in our palate. I love Brett IPAs because, oh, it, yeah. Cause, yeah, it just works
0: so well.
1: They are good. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, should we wrap this thing up, guys? Yeah, uh, get Caleb. Jersey and Tim up here to do some...
1: Uh, some of whatever it is that they do.
0: What, what do they do? Debauchery? Think, yeah, I'm not sure what yeah. they
1: do. They drink beer. I know that. They drink beer.
0: And awesome. They, and they say things. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Marshall, Brewlosophy guys, thank you so much. It's been quite a memorable, unmemorable weekend. <laughs> I don't That'd know. Be, me,
1: unmemorably memorable, yes. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Caleb, for having us on, man. That was cool.
0: Really appreciate the time. Enjoy the rest of the time.
1: Cheers.